Astonishing Legends would like to thank The Great Courses Plus, Best Fiends, Bespoke Post, Squarespace, BetterHelp, our contributors at Patreon.com, and you, our listeners, for making tonight's show possible. I have a confession to make. When we started this Mm. show, when we were trying to figure out how to position ourselves in the podcast world, Mm. I will readily admit that I shied away from using the word paranormal in any of our marketing (laughs) materials. We didn't have any marketing material. Whatever. My point was, I felt like the word paranormal was tainted. And Mm. on top of that, the word podcast was, at the time, (laughs) tainted too. Everyone with a microphone had a podcast. It was challenging to create a brand in a world that many considered a joke on a joke. When people asked me what I did in those early days, I would often mumble the word podcaster under my breath and then leave the word paranormal out of it entirely. (laughs) When we started, we had no idea if anyone would listen to us, much mm. less if we'd be able to turn it into a job somehow, but but it did. And now when people ask me what I do, I proudly say, I'm a paranormal podcaster. Mm-hmm. And then I explain that I don't mean that I'm personally paranormal, but that I co-host a podcast with my best friend Forrest, and we talk uh. about stuff that might often be paranormal. I feel like this cold open is going to drag on a little bit, you know, and now I'm regretting letting you do it tonight. No, no, wait. Bear with me here. We've been very fortunate. And since we got started, about 23,000 years after Jim Harold started, <laughs> uh-huh. paranormal podcasting has become a thing, largely in part to him mm-hmm. being the vanguard there. Yeah, well, I still say we should have gotten into true crime. <laughs> yeah, now that's a thing. Uh, yes. But, but we have a thing, too. It, it may be more niche, but it's a thing. My point is... Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's my line. Oh, That's yeah, my sorry, line. Sorry. You, don't, you don't do that. No, you let me just, no, can I just don't this steal one time? my line. Okay, okay. All my right. point is, we're so glad to still be around and so grateful for our audience. And that means you listening right now. Tonight, we thought we would not only admit that we're a paranormal podcast, meaning a mm. podcast about paranormal stuff, but we would lean into it by embracing mm. this special time of year as winter ends and summer begins. Yes, it's spring now. Oh, yeah, whatever. All right, so I'll rephrase. Uh, April is right around the corner. And we all know what that means. I can't follow any of this at all. Tonight, we lean into what we are by talking with two very special guests, including our old friend, screen and television writer, Richard Haddam, as well as another paranormal superstar that has somehow Mm -hmm. slipped under our radar for decades, Terry Carnation. Who? Terry Carnation. Listen, man, he's the real deal. (laughs) Just trust me. Uh... It's rare to have two amazing guests in one episode. This show is going to be, as Cindy Lauper used to say, so unusual. Yeah, I don't think many folks remember that. Well, I, look, I want you to start running these cold opens by me, please, before we... St- Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Forrest Burgess, and this is Scott Philbrook. Imagine the universe compressed on the head of a pin. No, 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 like this. Imagine the universe compressed on the head of a pin. Billions and billions of miles of space. (laughs) I do feel like Carl Sagan said that once, but when I Googled it, nothing came up, so... Oh, you know what? I think it was a parody of him now. Anyway, it was mm. a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> join us tonight for a slightly irreverent episode of Astonishing Legends. And we're back for our very last show, folks. Scott and I are finally hanging it up and we're retiring. This is it. 
I'm done. Tired of yeah. talking to you every day. Uh, Tired of reading books. <laughs> it's mostly Scott. It's not you. It's not you. It's us. Trust us, right? Yeah. Or it's, us. it's mostly, in my perspective, it's mostly Scott. So, yeah. yeah. But for now, tonight, we are back and it's almost April 1st. 2000. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. 21. Yes, it's uh, April Fool's Day is upon us. A few quick notes. The winter beanies that we didn't actually get made until what Forrest tells me is the spring are flying off the shelves. So if you want one, get it now at our website in the shop. But they'll be back when it gets cold again, so don't fret. Oh, and by the way, we want a quick happy birthday to Emily Murphy. Thanks for listening, mm-hmm. Emily. We're glad to have you. Yes, happy birthday, Emily. So, Scott, do you have anything planned for April Fool's Day, speaking of which? Not yet. I'm, I'm working on it. In the past, my practical jokes have gone too far, and people have gotten fired and stuff. So I, I try to keep it oh, real simple these days. <laughs> you mean when you put your son in the uh, the hot air balloon? And, uh, and no, well, off. not that. But I, I, I okay. did. we did tell a tech guy that the owner of a company that we were working at had gotten wise to the fact that he bootlegged all the software the company was using. <laughs> and then before we could go and tell him it oh, was a no. joke, he had oh, gone no. in to confess to the partner and founder of the corporation. Oh. <laughs> it's uh, a giant post-production company, multi-million dollar company in Santa Monica. Uh, so, yeah. That's awful. It's been a while since yeah. I've done any serious jokes there. I thought you said he, was, he deleted like terabytes of data. Back in the day, he had, you know, gotten... Photoshop and a few other things. Mm, and, and I see. Folks were doing that a lot back then. It's a lot harder to get away with that these days. They've, they've gotten pretty wise. But it scared him pretty good. <laughs> we <laughs> don't talk that one through. He and I, yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Well, it's a good idea that, one, yes, don't pirate. Number two, don't play a practical joke like that anymore that's as frightening. But I will say it was a good idea for a practical joke. It just, yeah, that one got out of hand. Yeah, it went too far. Well, folks, we got a great show tonight, so we're going to get into it. Uh, One quick note, there are some mildly adult themes and words that might evoke a side conversation if you're listening with the kids. But no profanity, so just be warned. (laughs) Hold on a second. Wait, Rich is joining us, right? Right. Uh, Ah! uh, Come on, man. Right out of the gate. The first (laughs) word he says. The first word he says. Well, uh... (laughs) I didn't even know that was a bad word. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, that cost us $1.78 for Sarah to have to edit that out. So let's try to keep that to a minute. It cost me $1.78 every time I swear. (laughs) I've got a a jar of change. Yeah, but dude, with you, that adds up. That, That it gets expensive after a while. So let's try and keep that to a minimum. And you know what? We have a great show tonight. Let's just get into it. All right, folks, it is time to get into the show tonight, and we are very excited to have two very esteemed guests with us. It's our old favorite and great, great friend, Mr. Richard Haddam. Welcome back, Richard. Hello, gentlemen. I'm so happy to be back. Well, we are so happy to have you, and I know the listeners are too. And then we also have a very exciting interview later in the show with a gentleman named Terry Carnation, who some of you may have heard of, some of you might not. He is a preeminent paranormal personality and, in fact, has a new podcast coming out on April 1st called Dark Air. There's a coast-to-coast vibe about him, I guess you could say. And uh, I interviewed him a few days ago. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I thought the other esteemed guest was me. (laughs) You're talking about another interview with somebody else. Yes, with somebody else. And the name is vaguely familiar, but I don't think I know this guy. Wait, yeah. Scott, does Forrest still think he's a guest on this show? <laughs> yeah, he does. So he, yeah, he, tell he, him he, that he's a full-fledged co-host. Well, I know. You know, it's long <laughs> yeah, overdue. Yeah, no, this is interesting. Again, the name's vaguely familiar, but... So you've never uh, heard of this guy. Is that what you're saying? Not in recent memory. No, oh, I mean, of course, a lot of people are starting podcasts, of course. And uh, Scott and I have not heard of everybody in the, in the business, of course. Uh, Neither one of you grew up in LA, right? 
No. No. Well, I did in some ways, <laughs> but not the way you're referring to. <laughs> But here's the thing, though, Rich. In the Pacific Northwest is where I vaguely remember maybe hearing the the last day. Of course, there's a, there's a famous carnation dairy in the Northwest part of Washington State. Been around a very long time, so it's very well known in Washington State. There's that name, but that's a business name. That is uh, not a usual last name. But there's something about that name, though, that's familiar apart from that and from um, me growing up in the Pacific Northwest. That's what I remember now. I don't know where the show came from, but I remember being like really little and hearing like Mm -hmm. driving home from my grandparents' house or something. It was a call-in thing and people would, you know, had these weird experiences. And I just had this weird memory of like looking out the window and it was always night, you know, driving home yeah, and yeah, these yeah. things were going on. You know, a, I don't know why my parents were listening to it because that's not their sort of thing. <laughs> B, we never talked about it. C, none of them remember it, but I have a very clear memory of it. But this is going back decades. So I don't know how mm. long. And then it sort of went away. And it was only then again later when I was in my 20s, I remember driving, you know, we'd go into Vegas or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then it wasn't in town. It was like, if you were in the desert, you could get it. I never heard the show start. <laughs> I never heard it end. It was always oh. the middle of the show. Yeah. It was very strange. I honestly got to the point where I didn't know if I was dreaming it because no one ever confirmed having heard it. This right. is the right. first time I've ever heard literally anyone else mention the name. Weird. Weird. You know, you what, know it what it is? is? It's, it's the, the Berenstain Carnation effect. effect. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's the Mandela. With a little, with a little <laughs> Mandela thrown in. It's just vaguely a memory, but you're pretty sure it happened, but you you can't pinpoint anything about it. I've got all kinds of stuff. I've got things that I remember from childhood, like foods and things that yeah. only yeah. certain other people will confirm existed, you know? Right, Like right. it wasn't a, it was a, a competitor to the Pop-Tart. It was called a Danish go-round. <laughs> I swear to you. But it was also a thing yeah. you put into a toaster. But right, again, right. people are like, they think I'm out of my mind. Well, yeah, mm. I've never heard of that. Anyway, um, yeah. I, there was a, some toaster strudel thing. I remember that. Toaster yeah. strudel, yes. Yeah. So and yeah. it had a little packet of uh, jelly you squeezed on it yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Okay, do you remember a competing product to Kool-Aid called Funny Face? No. Vaguely, yes. Again, Funny that's face. that's uh, scratching that weird thing. My point is, is that, yes, I think Terry Carnation, you know, if he is a real guy, well, exists somewhere in that, that, uh, that nether world. He's a real guy. I talked to him. Yeah. I did. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll find yeah. out. Know, uh, if I hear the voice, I will know it. It will take me back to right. my childhood immediately. But this is really weird because this comes out of like out of nowhere. So I'm I'm just saying he may exist in a reality that is on the borderline between, you know, the the veil of our world and the next or a parallel universe is what I'm saying. Well, perhaps so. But before we get on to Terry, you know what? Let's catch up with you, Rich. What have you been up to? You're still working on uh, season three of Titans, I imagine, right? Yes. Still working uh, in the middle of season three. We're filming. We're writing the final episodes, filming the middle episodes. The early episodes have been cut together and uh, are going through post-production. Everyone is very happy. It premieres in July. And uh, we're uh, getting excited about uh, hopefully a season four. But uh, yeah, and thank God. I I am one of the lucky people who had a gig going into the pandemic. And I am doubly lucky because it's the kind of job I could do from home just on Zoom Mm -hmm. like I am with you guys now. And it's gone on the entire, literally the entire time. We met as a group at our writer's office, you know, on that Friday, March 13th, 2020. And by the following Monday, we were on Zoom, never missed a beat, and have worked the entire year 
and are even now just finishing up. So I got, that has sustained me through the pandemic. No matter what was going on, I knew that I had a few hours every day with those people to talk about those characters and it got us through. I think you also should tell our listeners where they can find Titans because I used to watch it on the DC app, but it's moved, right? So what's going on with that? In the continental United States, it's much easier to see now. You can see it on HBO Max, which gets offered through whatever TV service uh, and cable provider you're, you're watching or you're subscribing to, you can get HBO Max. It used to be on DC Universe. You had to look a little harder. It's also on Netflix outside of the United States, in Canada, Mexico, Europe, Mm. Asia, Africa, you know. But now it's very easy for people like my relatives. I can finally say, just go on HBO Max. You can watch it. They've got season one and season two in their entirety. You can watch them right now. It's doing very well. Great. And in July, you will have season three. Excellent. That's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. I'm perfectly happy to just walk into another room of my house plug in some headphones, see all of my friends are there on the screen. I don't have to get in a car. I don't have to park. We just hop in, goof around, get to work. And then the minute we're done, 10 seconds after the writer's room is done, I'm on the couch watching TV with my family, (laughs) eating chips. So I've got nothing to complain about. And no pants the entire time. Pants are a thing of the past. (laughs) Right, right. That's so 2019. Yeah. Well, before we started tonight, you were talking a little bit about a party you went to recently. We thought maybe you might share that story with our listeners. Well, it sounds scandalous to even say that I went to a party because it's like, hey, aren't we all supposed to still be quarantining? And we are. This was a a small gathering. There were maybe four or five couples. It was outdoors. Several of them had already been fully vaccinated. So that was like amazing. And others were halfway through the vaccination process. But anyway, we met for a few hours to celebrate someone's birthday. I'm not going to say who it was. You might even know some of the people. But one of the women there who I've known for years and years and years, she's been on this path of learning how to become a medium, meaning how to communicate with the dead. And many people from this little sort of dinner party had about eight years ago gone to another party where a special guest was invited. That special guest was a medium. She did readings for everyone. And so my friend was like, this is interesting. So she signed up for lessons to see if she had any facility for it, found out she did, has been quietly developing these skills. And and so it was very funny because someone at the party was talking about a friend of theirs who had passed on. And at a certain point, this woman said, they're here right now. Oh, wow. (laughs) And she's very sort of on the DL. Like she doesn't advertise. It's word of mouth. She'll do a reading, but she's very like, I don't want to mess with people. If people don't like it or if it worries them or they're not interested or they don't believe it, I don't want to get up in their belief system. But she said, the person you're talking about is here and is excited to see you is excited about the tattoo that you got, that you got in honor of them. And this person showed us the tattoo. It was pretty amazing. And there were were people at the party who were like, what's happening right now? Because they didn't even know she did this. Hi, this is Connie. And when I'm not making your puppy look beautiful, I'm listening to, no, wait, I listened to Astonishing Legends when I groom. When I'm not making recipe, no, I listen then also. Hi, this is Connie, and when I'm not listening to Astonishing Legends, I'm sleeping. 
So let's get back to the show. When you think about this and you go back to our Siren Call episodes that we did late last year, how do you feel about these communications? Do you think that they're always coming from the real loved one or do you think there's a possibility of subterfuge there? I, you know, I really don't know. There's the subterfuge, but then there's also the, or is it coming from another plane of information that presents as human souls? Right. In other words, is it coming from the Akashic record or some mm. other version of that that our brain interprets? Now, here's the reason why I don't think that's it. And I hope we're not getting in the weeds. You know what? For your listeners, we're never in the weeds. We live in the weeds. weeds. Yes, we live in the weeds. And also, this is kind of a light show tonight, so it's okay. You can go there. So there's a theory, you know, back in the 1800s when people were doing seances and the Society for Psychical Research was in its earliest days trying to figure out what was happening in seance phenomenon and with mediums who would apparently communicate with the dead. One of the theories that was developed at that time was something called super ESP, basically. Mm -hmm. So the, the theory is, well, you're not actually talking to the spirit of a person who has died. You're tapping into sort of a Van Allen belt of information that encircles <laughs> our planet. And it's almost like those are radio signals and you're an antenna and you're just pulling information down and all information that has ever existed is available out there in the ethers. And these people are reaching into that river and pulling out bits of information and then presenting yeah. it, but saying, well, it's coming from your dead relative. Speaking of river, that's a little bit like the Edgar Casey story in that uh, there is pulling from this band of thought and information, but you also have guides and they're kind of packaging it or routing it to you. Yes. But it's all yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like the information, like if you're a psychic and they make this distinction, a psychic perhaps can tell you about the future or the past or no information about you that they would have no other obvious way of knowing through the five senses. Whereas a medium talks to your dead aunt Gladys. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. the, the distinction that is typically made. Well, personally, I don't know of any medium or psychic who has ever gone into whatever mental state they need to go into to get information and has presented it as, I am in the great library. I am pulling down a book. I am reading information about your Aunt Gladys. Let me tell you about your Aunt Gladys and where they are now. They always, in other words, a medium always, as far as I've ever heard, always experiences it as they are here. I'm looking at them. I'm hearing them. Yeah. Here's what they point. look like. Here's yeah. what they sound like. Here's who they say they are. I think they're here for you. They're experiencing it as a person has walked into my field of vision who wants to communicate a message. And typically that person's dead. I don't, I don't know of any mediums who have ever gotten that one wrong. And it's like, although I will tell you one thing, but it's never like, oh, I'm getting a, a, a message from your uncle Bob. Oh yeah. My uncle Bob lives in Glendale. Oh, right, well, he's right. saying he's going to see you on Sunday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, There is some Sylvia Brown, as people will remember, where she got a few things wrong, especially with uh, some uh, murder cases that were famously on, uh, I think, Arsenio Hall or one of the shows she appeared on. You know, the person was alive or was dead or, you know, she got that wrong. But I will say in defense of some mediums, you don't know when or where 
the information is coming from. Like that can be confused. Uh, well, we're, we're back to the Mothman prophecy where the information is correct, but the timeline's wrong or the location is wrong. Something's off about it. So it's a very nebulous, sketchy business anyway. It is one of the strangest. I mean, it was pretty chilling because it was so of the moment. She was saying that she had recently done a reading for a woman whose husband had passed on from COVID just in the last couple of months. And it was very sudden, you know, very unexpected. This was not someone who had pre-existing conditions. They had both been sick. Uh, she recovered. Uh, he did not. He was in the hospital. And then he passed away. Well, what she did not know, because when she did the reading, the husband came through, but he came through with a young man. And it turns out the young man was their son who had died the previous year. Wow. Yeah. A tragic story of suicide, unfortunately. And he was there with his dad, holding his dad's hand and acting as an intermediary from his dad's spirit. But he, who had been in spirit longer, was communicating directly with my friend, who is the medium. Good. Great. And she sort of had to put it all together as it was happening. And then, of course, this woman, the sitter, who had clearly lost a son and now a husband, had said, well... One of, the, one of the first things that came through was the husband said, I'm sorry. And they had to make it clear that it wasn't the son's fault because I guess when he was in intensive care, she was sort of praying to her son who had passed on saying, now don't you dare take him. Mm. You may want him with you, but you can't have him. You know, mm. And these were her silent prayers. So during the reading, my friend was like, well, for some reason, your son is saying, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And he's laughing, but he's saying, I swear, mom, it wasn't me. Oh, and she understood God. exactly what that meant. Yeah. And then the husband who had passed on communicated that he was in the ICU and he was aware of being alive. Then he was aware, though he was unconscious, that he was hovering on the edge of life and death. And he spent a certain amount of time trying to survive. And then he said, at a certain point, I realized it wasn't going to happen. And then I immediately said, well, if it's not going to happen, then I'm ready to go. And soon after that, he says he passed away. But that's what he was experiencing in the hours before he died. Now, he, this is so strange. He did not say that he was aware of his son at all until he had passed, at which point he became immediately aware of the presence of his son who had died the previous year. And the two of them now have been, have been together in the next world. And they both came through in this reading. So that was the story she told. But again, this is a fairly new thing that she's doing, a skill she's developed over the last five, six, seven, eight years, maybe. And I've sort of tracked it because early on, it was very fragmentary. She wasn't sure if she was getting real stuff and it didn't feel strong. And the more she's practiced it and the more she's done it, the more I can see the difference in the confidence she has. She talks very clearly this, yes, now I know how to do it. And she also knows how to turn it off because she said that in this pandemic year, she's had spirits at night who literally 
whisper in her ear while she's trying Ooh. to sleep. Ooh. And she just tells them, no, you have to stop. I can't do this. I, I need to sleep. If you want to make an appointment, make an appointment. And, and she said yeah. it like that. And she said, and I'm like, did it work? And she's like, yep, it worked. They backed off. You have to tell them. But once you tell them, they do back off. Well, I wonder if they have no perception of time. Well, I mean, they must know if somebody's sleeping. If you're, if you're having a whisper in the person's ear when they're asleep. Well, my question was, is that when they can get through the best? When it's quiet and you're sort of in that other mental state that's a little Liminal. bit more open and a little less preoccupied with the everyday. Yeah. Is that when they can get in? I don't know. I think so. I think that has something to do with it. At least, uh, well, I always go back to uh, psychic Peter James, psychic and medium uh, from the uh, 80s, who we all love. The shock of white hair and the dark uh, black mustache who appeared on a bunch of shows that we've talked about before, but he would always say the nighttime is their daytime and vice versa. It's when they're most active. So I think that has something to do with it. But also look at people living now who have a little trouble with boundaries and, and <laughs> bugging people. And not, uh, that's right. a, a bit of um, being empathetic to like, yeah, I shouldn't call this family, you know, with, with small kids like at uh, 10, 10, 30 at night. That actually was a Curb Your Enthusiasm I remember theme. that. It was like, how, yeah, how, <laughs> is, it, is it 9 o'clock? He's like, no, it's 9 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. You call people with a kid not past 10 o'clock. And, and uh, By Julia the way, Louis Dreyfus said 9 o'clock. Scott about this because Scott doesn't care when he calls me. Right. I call from Scott <laughs> at 11 o'clock and then I'll realize, wait a second, and, yeah. and for him it's 2 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, because because Scott yeah, and I have had I, a yeah, uh, celebratory. Oh my God! What's happening, Scott? Oh, nothing. I just want to. No, that, that, yes, <laughs> Scott and I have had a celebratory uh, cocktail after finishing a recording session or or posting one, and then uh, we're chatting. He's like, "Hey, let's talk to Rich." It's like, well, I'm fine with that. I'm. I don't have a family that's going to be annoyed by that. So, well, I mean, uh, that's yeah. cool. You know, te text me ahead of time. I'll make myself a drink. I'll get all ready. I got <laughs> to catch up to where you well, are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but getting back to your point, that's, I, I think you have to set some boundaries. I've also talked to people with mediumship like abilities who uh, have things, sensations, communications, uh, audio, know. visual things coming to them. And that is a problem that they've said uh, has happened with them is that it's hard to learn how to turn that off or not get it when you don't want it. But there is a way to do it. There are techniques and skills you could learn to turn the faucet off or at least turn it down to a drip. There is a, another woman that I'm friends with who is experiencing coming upon the talent to speak to the dead from the total other angle where for her... Although she's been interested in it, you know, throughout her life and has always felt like, oh, you know, sometimes I'll, you know, get a you know, feeling here, feeling there. But she has become a medium through force where spirits like kind of attacked her mentally and did not let her ignore them. And it was this sort of psychic awakening for her. And this just happened within the last two, three years. And she kept a diary and she talks about it. And I, you, this is the person I've talked to you guys about having on the yes, show. So this might yes. happen one day. But her story is really scary because her thing is, I didn't want this. Right, and right. I didn't have a choice. It selected me. And then I had to retroactively figure out defenses and boundaries and methods to control it and figure it out. 
And that's a crazy story. So maybe, yeah. you know, down the road, we'll... Yeah, I'm very intrigued with that one. I have to be honest. I smell uh, Gold Star Sweeps Week episode here. <laughs> when we follow these... That's fascinating. It's psychic Jedi mind training in that these are techniques that can be developed. I'm Tyson Harley, and this is Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. Listen, man, we have one more fun segment that we want to do with you if you're up for it, if you can hang out for a bit. Um, yeah. Okay, great, because right now we're going to play the interview with uh, paranormal podcasting legend Terry Carnation, who you oh, remember excellent. from your youth. Yes. And uh, that's about uh, 30 minutes if you want. We'll get back to you right after that uh, for our last segment. Is that cool? Uh, yeah, that's cool. Okay, great. All right, let me see here. Uh, Forrest, do you know... Oh, crap. I think I just hung up on Rich. All right, all right. Well, we'll call him back in a minute. Yeah. All, right, all right, folks. <laughs> He'll understand. He's cool. Uh, I but, think it's... Well, uh, never mind. Okay. I thought I saw his icon was active, but uh, he must be off. Okay. okay. Never all mind. right. Well, we have a very special guest joining us tonight. It is Mr. Terry Carnation, who is coming out with a brand new podcast, and we're very fortunate to have him come on the show and talk about it a little bit and a little bit about who he is. Terry, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience? Well, why should I do that? You've already introduced me quite handily. Well, what, what about your background? Where do you? I feel like I don't know a whole lot about you. Oh, oh, oh let's slow, slow down a second. Are you saying you want a double introduction? You want a double introduction? I'll give you a double introduction. Let's do it. Let's. I think here we I go. Think Hi, idea. I'm Terry Carnation. I'm host of Dark Air, the paranormal call-in show that has captivated audiences for decades coast to coast, uh, making a return to the airwaves in a way with this podcast, Dark Air, which premieres on April 1st. I am the Pope of the paranormal. I'm a luxurious man. I love bath salts and I keep myself well moisturized. Anything else you'd like to know, Scott? Well, yes. I don't know how I've missed your prior incarnations. So you've been around for decades. Decades, yes. KSB Radio in Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yes. Far to the right hand of the AM dial. So far, we almost reach the Crab Nebula. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I don't know. That's my attempt at humor. I'm not humor's not my thing. Scary is my thing. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Like what kind of stuff are you gonna be talking about? Do you lean towards particular genres of the paranormal? Cryptids, UFOs, aliens, uh disappearances? What is uh your favorite branch of the paranormal? That is not for me to decide. Humbly, Scott, I requisition my listeners to call in with their darkest thoughts, their their needs, their desires, their most frightening stories, their their deepest, darkest, most mysterious questions. I'm all about the questions. I'm not really about the answers, if you understand. And I am open to all possibilities. Trademark, Terry Carnation. Open to all possibilities. Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. How did you get into the paranormal? What is what is your background? Your, was it this something that you got interested in in your childhood or was there a big change in your life? Have you had a personal experience that led you to be fascinated with this kind of stuff? Fascinating story, Scott. Do you mind if I call you Scott? Uh, no, that's absolutely fine. Do you mind if I call you Scotty? That's okay too. I don't let just anybody do that, but I think that'll be all right for now. Scotty, this silken voice uh, mastered the uh, FM radio waves back in the 90s, in the early 90s, in the rock and roll era. I don't know if you remember when rock and roll was still pertinent. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Do you remember Goo Goo Dolls? Oh, absolutely. I was a huge Goo Goo Dolls fan. Uh, In fact, I followed them on tour. They called me a a goo head or a goo goo or a 
doll boy. Uh, we called ourselves any, any number of names. So I was an FM late night DJ. And at the station I was working, believe it or not, the show on After Mine was a paranormal call-in show. I finished my show. I, you know, I played the most recent hit by the Goo Goo Dolls. I believe it was like, uh, slap me on the radio and um, said, good night, everybody. I went to the bathroom. I needed to relieve myself. Number three, actually. <laughs> and came back out. The disc jockey before me, Reginald Wilcox, had been murdered in his chair. At the station. At the station. This was before security cameras. This was 1992. It was Buffalo, New York. No one else was there. Okay. So what did you do? Well, I, of course, uh, I played a, a number of Goo Goo Dolls hits back to back, called the station manager, and he's like, Terry, fill in. Help Reginald out in his memory, for Christ's sake. It's what Reginald would want. So I hauled the body into the corner, dragged it behind a little uh, trash can, put a little blanket over him. It wasn't, it wasn't actually a blanket. There wasn't a blanket to be found, but... I put some down jackets from the lost and found over his body, and I settled in at the microphone, and that's how a legend was created. Oh, my God. So you didn't call the police or the coroner or anything? You, you did your shift first, I take it? Good point. Good point. The janitor came in at 3 a.m. He remembered to call 911, and um, all was saved. And I, I pled to the, to the police, I'm doing my job. I'm trying to keep the station afloat, as you know. The biggest enemy we all have is dead air. Hence the phrase, hence the title, dark air. Well, let's talk about dark air. When is the show premiering? April 1st. This is my return to the radio waves. I've been gone for the last three years. And what kind of show is it? It's going to be a paranormal call-in show? This show is a little different. It's, a, it's kind of a documentary. It's documented my life. It's recorded audio clips uh, from my life in my apartment, looking for love dealing with the recent, well, not so recent anymore, the, the three-year passing of my wife, Zelon. Zelon Carnation passed away, and uh, I was dealing with the repercussions emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. And it documents my return to the airwaves. And also we have segments of the show, we have call-ins. You know, we have, I take calls from people all over the country with their stories. Uh, and again, I am open to all possibilities, trademark Terry Carnation. Do you vet your callers or are they just anybody can call in with their stories? Do you is there any kind of research that goes into this work or you're just having general conversation about their stories? My engineer, Jeet Vetter, the veterinarian of my calls. Okay. All right. How long is each episode? We have 15 episodes, each one about 40 minutes or so. It's okay. quite a lot. It's a lot of Terry. And <laughs> there's a lot of Terry to cover. There's a lot of me. I'm a big boy. And it'll be coming out weekly. It will be coming out weekly. You know, I want to hear more about it. There is one question that I want to ask first, though. Um, I noticed that you have a very prominent amulet, or it looks like a crystal that you're wearing, and I've seen mm -hmm. that on your Instagram mm -hmm. as well. You seem to always, almost always have it on. Mm -hmm. What can you tell me about that amulet? Well, there's not a whole lot to say. It contains my soul. Okay. That's, uh, that's good to know. So you keep your soul there around your neck, outside of your body. There was a time, we call it the lost years, uh, when I was in the Andes Mountains, hooked on ayahuasca, and I was a part of a ceremony that got very dark very quick. <laughs> but the culmination thereof being my soul, my eternal soul, 
was placed into this pendant. It's very handy. It's very convenient. I have it with me at all times. I know where it is. It's quite tangible. Indeed. But if anyone were to touch it, I would need to kill them. Okay. Well, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> really that simple. I guess you might have some problems if it was misplaced or something, so it's a good idea to keep it with you. Exactly. Exactement. I wanted to ask you a few other questions, too. I noticed on your Instagram, you, see, you frequently seem to be in the Southwest. Do you have a retreat there that you, uh, that you stay at, or what's your, what's your primary location? There is a sensual magic in the Southwest that cannot be found anyplace else in the world. I dare you to find a place where one can become sexually aroused simply by rubbing up against a rock outcropping or a pile of reddish sand or a Joshua tree. It's an ancient sensuality that I respond to, and it allows me to connect with the earth in a way that some might call disgusting, but I would call, well, loving and appropriate. That's unusual, but I, I think if, if that works for you, that's really great. Works for me. Great. That's wonderful to hear. Let me ask you this. Do you, what's your position on ghosts and demons? Do you believe in evil spirits and good spirits? Have you ever encountered any of these things yourself? Well, as I said, Scotty, I am open to all possibilities. Have I had encounters, not of an alien kind, but of a spectral kind? Certainly, I have. I don't think we have the time or the room to go into the details right now. But yes, I believe that there is an ancient battle between good and evil continuing nonstop on this earthly plane. And we see evidences of that all around us. I'm in complete alignment with that. And I agree with that as well. Well, now that um, COVID seems to be waning and that sort of things, where will we be able to find you at any paranormal conventions uh, out there in the world as people start traveling again? If there's money to be made, you will find me there. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. I would like to sign things for money. You pay me money and I sign things and I pose for photographs. Okay. That's good to know. Well, we can let our listeners know. And if you... If but you don't, don't, Scotty. Don't touch the amulet. Don't touch the amulet. Understood. And I think our, our listeners would do well to remember that if they come across you in the wild somewhere. That's a good thing to know. Do you have any snippets from your show that you might be able to share with us, share with our audience? Yes. Thank you, Scotty, for asking. I, I brought a sampling of the kind of calls that we have on dark air. I can share screen with you, play some of these. And okay. um, yes, we've got a well, we've got a wonderful call about a, an alien orgy. Oh, okay. Uh, these are all true stories, by the way. We have a call about a, a woman whose uh, boyfriend is a werewolf. Okay. We have a call from someone who is convinced that the horn section of Chicago is a hit squad, a death squad, hitmen. Okay. There's someone whose dog on the air becomes possessed. Their Rottweiler becomes possessed. And there's a call of a man of the homosexual variety who is greatly attracted to Big Feet. Okay. Um, Sasquatch. And is, you know, calling an open, open invitation for a, some kind of union, some kind of connection, which I think is beautiful. You know what? Those calls are all very intriguing. Our show and our audience is a little bit PG-13, so I'll leave it to you to pick the ones that might be most suitable for our listeners. I had no idea your show was PG-13. <laughs> Forgive me. It's okay. I went to some very dark places earlier in our conversation. Uh, that's okay. I think it'll be fine. We'll get by. All right, so I'll skip the alien orgy, and I'll skip the Bigfoot, 
Why don't we go to the uh, the dog that becomes possessed? Okay, I would love That's to a hear short that. and sweet one. All right, here we go. I'm not so good at the tech. I see the screen. Here we go. Okay. Dark air. This is Terry. Hi, Terry. This is Christine. Hello, Christine. I'm so excited to be talking to you finally. Oh, I'm a big, wonderful. big fan. So uh, my dog, Kenny, he is super weird. He's a Rottweiler, and he, well, he has a lazy eye. And one of his eyes, I swear to God, I think it's looking at ghosts. I need your help. Okay, so is it the right eye or the left eye? It's his left eye. Ah, well, that makes sense. Left eye is the contingent eye to the spirit world. And was he born with this defect, or did it happen at a certain point in time? No, when he was about six years old, he got in a fight with a feral cat, and then his left eye just has been lazy ever since. It just wanders off, but Mm. now we think he sees ghosts. So perhaps some of the muscles were severed, which has allowed the eye to drift from the physical, from the material, into the spirit realm. Now, what is it about Kenny's lazy left eye that makes you think that he's witnessing something spectral. Well, sometimes we'll just be sitting there, you know, like eating supper, just hanging out as a family, and he will just be looking in the corner of the room, and no one knows what he's looking at. He just just keeps looking, and then he starts to growl a little bit. That's what made us scared. Well, you know, the Sufi mystics often speak about the power of the third eye, the all-seeing eye. Just to be clear, Terry, he only has two eyes, and they're both brown. Hmm. It's as if actor Peter Falk could see ghosts with his lazy eye. Anyway, so how can I help you with Kenny? Are you viewing this as some kind of um, danger or threat to you or your family? My granddad did die in this house, and so sometimes we wonder if he's talking to granddad. But we don't, we don't hmm. know what it is, and I, I know you're the expert. So I thought I'd call you and hmm. ask. Well, my assessment is that Kenny is peering into the spectral realm. And as such, he should be revered. He should be honored. I mean, to the ancient Egyptian, the the humble house cat had two feet in the material realm and two feet in the spirit world. They were often buried with their owners. I think that it's important uh, when Kenny passes that he be buried with someone in the family. Yeah, you know, we could bury him with Granddad in the backyard, although there is a problem with that. Kenny dug up a human leg bone and brought it in the house. We don't know if it was Granddad or if Mm. it was one of his wives, but Mm. that could be a problem. But otherwise, we can definitely bury him. What was Kenny's relationship with your grandfather? Did did he beat Kenny? Well, no, he he did not beat Kenny. He just sometimes whacked him with a newspaper and kicked him once or twice, but Mm. that was about it. Mm. He didn't beat him. I'm going to revise my assessment, and I believe that Kenny is in close contact with your grandfather as a kind of a spectral retribution, keeping him attached to the material realm in order to reverse the punishment onto your grandfather for the whelpings that he brought him with said newspaper. So put the phone up to his snout. Okay. Kenny, Kenny? Can you hear me? Kenny, can you hear me? He's nodding. He's nodding, yes. He's saying yes. Good, good. Kenny, listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. Is he there, Kenny? Is grandfather there? Do you see him? He's nodding. Do you see him in the corner? Kenny, Kenny, let him go. Let grandfather go, Kenny. Let him go. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, my God. Terry, he's up on his high legs. He's walking like a man. Oh, my God. He just put on grandfather's robe. He's walking out the door. He's acting like a man. Oh, Godspeed, Kenny. Godspeed.
Wow. There you have it. That's really quite a call, Terry. I don't think we've had a call on our show or a story that's that filled with activity and uh, such a strange thing for the dog to walk out on his hind legs. Are you psychic at all? I knew you were going to ask me that question. Well, I guess that answers that question. Let me ask you this. Do you have any kind of uh, training in parapsychology or what kind of research have you done that allowed you to get so connected with Kenny and Kenny's owner in that call? You know, Scotty, Scotch Tape, I have taken thousands of calls over the years, thousands of calls. I, I adore my listeners. I adore my callers. I've had calls from the future. I've had calls from the past. I've had calls from outer space. And I guess all of that experience, all of that connection has allowed me to just grok on a deeper level what's going on. You know, what's the story under the story? So it's just instinct for you at this point. It is, yes. Have you talked to Kenny or Kenny's owners since this phone call? Do you have any idea what the ending result was after Kenny left the house in the robe? Uh, we have not heard back from Kenny's uh, owner, but I I feel like a certain peace was made, ultimately. Obviously, Kenny was possessed by the ghost of her grandfather, and perhaps she's made some deeper connection to her grandfather. And perhaps she's saving money on food by only having to feed him dog food instead of steaks and potatoes and jello parfaits. That's an unusual observation, but I guess it makes sense. And if she's saving money, that's good. Um, that was really something. I, do you have any other calls that you would like to share with us now? I really enjoyed that, by the way. Well, I like this one. I think uh, another call from a young woman whose boyfriend is a werewolf. Oh, yes. Well, we've actually just been covering the uh, the Beast of Gévaudan, which was thought to be a werewolf uh, in France in the 1700s that attacked and killed mm. well over 100 people. They never figured out what it was. So mm -hmm. that's that's mm -hmm. pertinent. That'd be pertinent for our listeners right now. Let's give it a shot. Let's oh. give it a whirl. Let's give it a spin, as they say in the radio biz. Summer, you're on dark air. Hi. Okay, so, oh, God, I have sort of a complicated story. Okay. Um, I was like, most are, most are summer. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, okay. So I was like super, super worried and paranoid because I was like totally convinced that my boyfriend was cheating on me. We've been together for like a super long time and I'm thinking like marriage and kids and like, I'm ready. You know what I mean? Mm, mm, and mm. so I was like super worried and paranoid, um, because he wouldn't spend the night at my house. He was always like panicked and like he had to go and so i'm like mm. okay he's totally cheating on me right like you would think that too right mm -hmm. and so then one night he accidentally falls asleep at my house right and i wake up in the middle of the night i look over at him and he's like covered in like gray fur and i'm step like, right there step right there okay he's covered in gray fur gray fur head to toe like does does what's your boyfriend's name his name is Paul. So does Paul have a fuzzy fetish? <laughs> no, I'm talking about like a Norwegian elk hound. Like he's covered in fur. Like he's a werewolf. Mm. Like my boyfriend is a werewolf. A werewolf. Yeah. Do you have any evidence of him in his lupine state? Well, uh, I confronted him. I'm like, really? 
Like, we've been together for, like, seven years, and you didn't stop to think that maybe I need to know that you're a freaking werewolf, right? And so I'm like, all this time is wasted because, like, are we still going to get married? Are we going to have, like, werewolf babies? Mm. Like, I don't know if I want to be, like, a parent to, like, a bi-species baby, or I don't even know. I just feel like... How does that even work? I wonder. I wonder if the genetically the DNA can be passed on or if it's passed on through the mother or through the spermatozoa. Exactly. Could I even carry like a werewolf baby to Mm. term? You know what I mean? Would it like rip Mm. out of my belly? Anyway, I'm just like panicked because like I'm talking to my friends and they're all married. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, what am I going to tell them that I'm marrying like a werewolf? Hmm. And so uh, I just I don't know what to do. Well, she so would have to be you would have to be married during the daytime. Uh, exactly right. I don't even know like the particulars of like the werewolf situation, which is why I'm calling in. Do you think your family would accept him? I mean, I honestly don't think so. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, my family's super religious, but we've never really dealt with like like species situations. So I don't know how they feel about a werewolf. You know. Hmm. Here's another way to go. Would you be open to allowing him to bite you and um, become a werewolf yourself? Um, I don't know if it wouldn't impact my career. Maybe. What What's your occupation? Oh, I'm I'm a model. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. Like, how cliche is that? Right. I live in L.A. and I'm a model. Well, um, in this day and age, in this modern day and age, we all know that. Uh, Models who differentiate themselves can often make uh, an exciting and lucrative career. Perhaps if you were a a lupine model, you would uh, find new sources of revenue. It might help you, especially on the night shoots. That's kind of a good point. I mean, I definitely would be different. We could be like a werewolf power couple. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm. Like Jada Pinkett and Will Smith, but like werewolves. Mm. I like where this is going. Well, Summer... What an interesting quandary you have thrown into our laps, <laughs> into our furry laps. And I wish you and Paul the very best. And I, I, I believe there's love there. And I believe that love conquers all. Thank you. You really uh, gave me some things to think about. You're welcome, Summer. Goodbye. Oh, God. She's definitely going to be eaten. Okay. Who's next? Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, there's mm. a lot of things about that call that are very interesting to me. The first of all is that you are just openly accepting the fact that there's werewolves and that they're real and you believe in them and that this woman is sharing her life with one. Mm. But you didn't necessarily warn her away. Why Why would you not warn her about the possibility that something bad might happen to her? I don't feel like that's my role, Scotto. I feel like, you know, my, the role that I play is a provocateur, a counselor. My role is to draw stories out of people, to accept them, and then allow a deeper healing. So, you know, informing this, this young woman that her boyfriend would probably, in fact, devour her, it felt kind of negative, you know, it's kind of neggy, you sure. know, just kind of like, ugh. Right. You just decided to be a sounding board and try to comfort her in this moment, and then yes. the best of luck to her. Ultimately, I believe in the power of love. The power of love, Scott. 
Wow. Well, I I have to say your show sounds very intriguing. I'm looking forward to hearing it and subscribing to it. It sounds very unusual as well. I haven't quite heard a paranormal show like this before. No, you haven't. And you never will again. But I guarantee that starting in April, you are going to go on a very dark and wonderful journey with me, Scott and Scott's listeners, whoever and wherever you might be. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and uh, bringing these clips with you. And we're going to make sure our audience knows where to find your show. And we hope that you'll come back someday in the future if you have a, a really good story that you'd like to share with us. Well, what's the name of your show, Scott? Astonishing Legends. And what am I? You are an astonishing legend. Well, there's your answer then. Thank you so much. Thank you. I have a lot of questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> and a few comments. Okay, okay. Um, first of all, when Terry says he loves bath salts, I wonder what he means by that. Like, uh, how does he love them, you know? Well, you know, I think a, a good place to get that kind of information, more insight into his character is probably his Instagram. It's very, <laughs> he's got some movies up there that might shed yeah. a little light on that question. Yeah, there's something about Terry that seems really familiar. Almost spooky and disturbing in a way. I, I can't really put my finger on it, but it's kind of like I, I think I may have bumped into him or heard about him. You know, when I was attending the University of Washington in Seattle, I don't know, possibly working at the college radio station. I don't know. It, it's hard to explain to you, but you know what I'm talking about. When you, you think you know somebody, but yes. I don't know. Yeah, something about him, man, is just... Uh, and then his L.A. radio station, right? Yeah. Uh, our KSB, radio KSB, station KSB. Yeah, yeah. So that, that does sound a little bit familiar. Like, I don't know, maybe I had uh, heard it one time when I pressed the right arrow button on the, the radio tuner in the car. For, yes, for too <laughs> long. That. Yeah, yes. when you're, yeah, of course you want to check out what's the first station and, and maybe what's the last one. I, I'm kind of... Yeah, that's where you hear like number that. stations, too, when you're scrolling around like that. That seems you like the perfect check it place out. to find Terry Carnation. Is well, that's what I'm there. saying, is yeah. that I, I remember it being weird. Again, these are just very vague memories about him. So no, if they're you. memories uh, at all. Then well, I mean, you accurate. and Rich both have memories. I uh, was not familiar with him at all. <laughs> he came out of the blue for me. So, But, uh, you okay, know, after well, I talked to him, I was I was sold. I, I'm, I'm very interested in No, in he's, his, a, he's a fascinating dude. I, yeah. I am definitely going to check out his show. I recommend it to all of our listeners, because if you like us, this is just another great angle. And here's the other thing about it. I want to know where he's getting all those great callers with their stories. I mean, that's, that is some unbelievable stuff. It's really better than anything this American life has ever come up with. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> yeah. But, but here's the thing. People claiming to have had adult relations with Bigfoots is actually a reported thing I've heard of. Yes, I've heard some stuff that, well, you know, we're kid-friendly show, which I tried to point yes, out to true. him in the middle that's of the true. interview there. But, yeah, so there's definitely some stories like that we've been unable to cover, but we do have them in the files. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, stories like that in the files. There's also books written very seriously, one I can remember by a woman who claims to have had a relationship with a Bigfoot, ongoing yeah. and romantic. Yes, so, that's the one I'm thinking of. And if he's getting people like that to tune in to talk with, I'm definitely going to tune in myself. Well, Dark Air premieres on April 1st, 2021. You'll be able to find it pretty much anywhere you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, your smart speaker. They're easy to come by these days. It used to be we had to explain what they even were, but now everyone knows what they are. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you can also look for Terry Carnation on Instagram. It's a very entertaining Instagram that I enjoy visiting daily. And you can find him at terrycarnation.com. So we encourage you to check that out if you enjoyed that interview with him. 
Forrest and Scott, thank you for supporting their sponsors. I'm Erin down in Florida. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, it is time for our last segment of the show tonight. we got to get Rich back for this. Uh, we decided that we're going to take a page from the NPR show and podcast, Wait, Wait, Don't <laughs> Tell Me, and have Richard Haddam try to guess which one of three paranormal stories we're about to share is not a real one. Oh, there's another great uh, inspiration for this segment as well, and it's a British show on BBC One called Would I Lie to You? Oh, uh, yeah. And the the host is uh, Rob Brydon, who is, remember the, the movie The Trip with Steve Coogan? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, so he's he's one of the guys here. And he, he hosts it. And a similar premise. There's outrageous stories all around, and you have to guess who's been fibbing. And uh, I've been watching that. It's a, it's a tremendous amount of fun. And I'm really excited to see if we can stump paranormal mastermind Rich. Okay, you guys know I'm still here, right? What, wait, what? Do you, yeah. You've been... Okay. Oh, oh, I don't know. I, I didn't was even on hold. Rec- you thought you had hung up, but I was I was just on hold. I heard the. Oh, I, I, guess, I was able to hear the interview. Oh, you I guess his interview. icon. Oh. I told you, Scott, his icon was still up there. I'm I guess sorry. it was active. I sorry about that. <laughs> but you, but you wisely <laughs> muted me. Uh, I see. I see. <laughs> More people should take advantage of that option. Well, uh, let me ask you this: was uh, was that the Terry Carnation you remember? From your youth? Yeah, it uh, totally was. And it was really weird. I, in mm. fact, the only, I, I wanted to ask him some questions, but yeah, I guess, I suppose I can call into the show now. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely was. It is, it is very weird to hear that voice again after all these years. Because I know I've aged, but it doesn't sound like he has. Yes. I know. I'm just not sure. Yeah, you have a predicament that's just flat out weird enough to match his other Colin guests. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, you're going to have to up yeah, that well, party game. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do, man. Thanks for hanging out. We are going to share three short paranormal stories with you, and you have to figure out which one of them is not real. Three stories. One of them is not true. That's right. One of them is not true. And if you figure this out and you get which one is fake, what you have to do is you'll have to make a charitable donation of $250 to the non-political charity of our choice— like, for example, the plaid flannel shirts for Werewolves Foundation. No, that's if you, no, that's if you, yeah, if you fool me, if yes. I get it wrong, then I have to donate, right? Yes, yes, sorry. Did I say that backwards? Yeah, because that's the bet, obviously. And then if I win, if I'm like, haha, I got it, I guessed which one is fake, now you guys have to donate yeah. $250 to me personally, is that no, right? No, <laughs> to a non-political charity of your choice. Yeah. I see, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're, we're smarter than to Venmo it to you directly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we will write the check. You give us the address. So yeah. one way or another, no matter who loses, some charity wins. Some Got charity it. will get, yes, 250 all right? 250 if I lose, but then if you guys lose, there's two of you, that's 500 right? No, that's, that, that's not. It's, no, 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 no one's really saying that. One corporation. Yeah. Yeah. So if you win, I owe a charity of your choice, $250. And if I win, you guys are going to give me two of those weird little toothbrushes with a timer on it. Is that's that right. It? That's right. That's what you get. I can see you're getting at a disparity here. That's become obvious to me and that there's two of us and one of you who has to like fit the bill for the whole thing. Whereas uh, Scott and I are, are chipping in 125 each. I see what you're saying. The next and, time uh, I see you, the next yeah. time we're all together, you guys buy dinner. I think it'll work out. Well, just... yeah, I'll buy dinner. All I have to do is sell that book you gave me. Where? Oh yeah. The vertical plane. 
No. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah. 700. It's, it's $900. I think. Is that yeah. Right? $1,000 book. Yeah. yeah. I can donate that book to charity, but no, I have to read it first. I've still, I've only read, I've read the first yeah. four chapters like th- seven times. All right. Let's so. not get crazy here. Let's wait till we actually air the episode. Yes. Let's wait. Indeed. Well, um, we have three stories here. I'll read the first two and maybe you read the last one. How's that sound? That sounds good to me. Okay. Mr. Contestant, are you ready? I'm ready. This story is called The Dumpston Blobs. True. This one's true. Have you, have you heard of it before? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Really? really? Okay, now let's right. hear the story. Okay, okay so I, let's okay. hear the story. This one comes to us from the illustrious Kryptonaut podcast, hosted by our friends Rob Morphy and Mark Stores. Morphy has actually been a guest on the show before, most recently for the Sam the Sandown Clown episode, and he is a tour de force when it comes to digging up the details on this kind of stuff. So uh, we actually have a link to their episode on this uh, on this particular topic, if it is real, in our show notes, which was episode 24 from May of 2018. Now, this story takes place in 1958 when two friends, Hans Gustafsson and Stig Rydberg, were taking a short drive in Sweden to stay with Gustafsson's mother after what Rob Morphy calls a, quote, night on the town with their girlfriends, end quote. Mm. Well, this particular night, a soupy fog enveloped the car, and even though they had slowed way down, they were making slow progress when they decided to pull over and make a pee-pee on the side of the road. (laughs) So they're standing outside the car, peeing, and they notice a strange glow in the woods, 150 feet away, in the trees. And being 25 and 30 and having no fear of death or alien abduction, they went to check it out. When they got close, they observed a strange disc-shaped object that was roughly 3 feet tall and 15 feet wide, and it was sitting on a tripod. Gustafsson said, It seemed to be made of a peculiar shimmering light that changed color. At this point, they realized they were suddenly completely surrounded by strange globs of animated jelly with tough, gelatinous bodies. He added that they smelled like ether and burnt sausage, and on top of that, they were starting to pull Hans and Stig towards their craft. Like you hear of in many close encounters, they tried to scream but were unable to make a sound. One of them was chased as he tried to run back to the car, while the other one was holding on to a no-camping sign, clinging for dear life as some of the blobs tried to pull him away. Stig managed to make it back to their car, and when he got in, he showered down on the horn. For whatever reason, the blobs, who they now noted were actually floating above the ground with no visible means of support, became startled and fled. Then the UFO shot up into the sky. They were so freaked out that Hans couldn't even bring himself to drive the car the rest of their trip for nearly 20 minutes. And they both knew their story was so crazy that they didn't dare tell anyone about it. Eventually, however, Hans's mother reported their story to a large newspaper, and they wound up getting interrogated for 11 hours by police and investigators whose apparent angle was really just trying to make sure sovereign Swedish airspace had not been invaded. Thing is... It was clear the friends both had severe PTSD, and after all that time, they could find no holes in their story. They even left them alone with hidden recording devices in the room, hoping they would cop to a hoax, but they did not. This is the only known case of what Rob Morphy calls jelly bags attacking humans. So that's Hmm. your first story. I like that one. I like that one because you know how everyone always says, like when they're telling their UFO or their ghost story, they're like, and we, you know, we weren't smoking anything. Yeah. We weren't drunk, you know, <laughs> right, totally right, right. sober. Like almost no one ever admits being under the influence of anything when they have an encounter or an experience. And yet we all know that most people are 
having a beer, having a glass of wine with dinner, you know? I mean, what are the odds that no one, I think people say it to sort of, because they want to like, it's like, look, no, 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 this really did happen. And, you know, maybe they believe it did, but they're always afraid if they admit they've even had a little bit to drink or, or they're under the influence of anything, people will discount their whole story. These guys clearly had a big night on the town. They had to pull yes. over to take a leak. They were partying. And then this happened. So I yeah. like that. I like that okay. they, were, yeah. that they yeah. were honest. All right. All right. So now for story number two, your next story in the running here. This one's called Strange Connection. This comes to us from one of David Weatherly's books entitled Disconnected Messages from Beyond the Grave, which he published in 2018. And we have a link to this book in our show notes. And this particular story is in chapter eight. Now, David was a guest on our show last year for the Strange Intruder series that we did last November. But this story pops up in several places online if you Google the Robert McHenry disappearance. So this starts in June of 2014 with Robert Bob McHenry, a recent widower living alone and with no extended family. He was pleasantly surprised at a relatively low point in his life when he heard back from a genealogical website that his DNA had found relatives he didn't know about, including a distant cousin and a grandnephew. Creeping up on the twilight of his life, he was excited for a chance to meet them, especially in light of the recent death of his wife of 34 years. He got in touch with both the cousin and the grandnephew, who both knew each other and began to get to know them himself by texting them regularly. He was excited when he found out that this extended family was about to have a huge family reunion barbecue that had only just recently gotten orchestrated. And on top of that, most of them lived in Menlo Park, just 90 minutes, that's in California, from Modesto, where Bob lived. The family reunion was set to take place on Saturday, June 14th, starting around 1130 and would be held at a local park that was convenient for everyone and able to support all of the visitors. Bob McHenry was a motorcycle enthusiast and had a silver and black Harley-Davidson Road King that was his pride and joy, and the weather was set to be beautiful that day, so he decided to ride to the reunion as it was only about an hour and a half away. His neighbors heard his Harley that morning around 10 a.m., and one of them saw him leave, and about 40 minutes after he was seen leaving, he stopped for gas at a Chevron station in Tracy, California. Security cameras and a credit card transaction confirmed this. He presumably topped off his tank with about three gallons of gas to get him to Modesto. He's seen on a security camera leaving the Chevron and heading back towards the freeway and presumably to Menlo Park for the reunion. Unfortunately, he never made it to the reunion and no trace of him could be found. On top of that, his cell phone vanished off the network minutes after he left the Chevron. For all intents and purposes, he completely disappeared. So at the barbecue, the family starts to wonder where their new cousin and uncle is. Why hasn't he shown up? But their fears were allayed when the two of them he'd been talking to in the weeks prior both received texts from him. Julie Latham, a distant cousin to him and one he first made contact with after the DNA test, got a text that said, quote, I'm on my way. Don't wait for me. Get the grill going, exclamation point. And a grandnephew he'd also been texting with the prior week got a nearly identical text that said, I'll be there soon. Can't wait to take you for a ride on the Harley. And what's strange about this is those texts came about 10 minutes apart around 1.30 in the afternoon. McHenry should have been there at least an hour and a half before that. During a police investigation into his disappearance, a forensic cell phone analyst had the strange issue of not being able to trace the origins of the messages. And you might think it ends there, but for the next two weeks or so, both Julie and Tommy, Bob's grandnephew, kept receiving cryptic messages supposedly from Bob. They also kept devolving and making less and less sense until eventually they became just gibberish. 
One of the last coherent ones to Julie said, quote, save some hot dogs for me. I'm almost there. Except hot dogs was misspelled and the text ended with strange punctuation. And on top of that, it was eight days after the reunion. The last one Tommy got just said, quote, it's okay. I see it now. Thanks them for us. And the thanks them was spelled T-H-A-N-K-S. Both of those came in the small hours of the morning. So two years later, 2016, some California State Water Commission folks are doing uh, some work in a reservoir called the Clifton Court Forebay when a sonar they were dragging got caught on something. They brought it up, and it was a motorcycle helmet snagged on a strap. The reservoir was 14 miles northwest of Tracy and completely in the wrong direction to get to Menlo Park from Modesto. They called the police in, and divers found Bob McHenry and his Harley at the bottom of the reservoir. The Modesto coroner could not identify any signs of foul play and ruled McHenry's death as an accident of unknown origin. But here's the kicker. He had his cell phone with him, and he was wearing a watch with the date and time that was not waterproof. It is presumed that it failed pretty soon after he and the bike entered the water, and it had stopped on Saturday, June 14th, didn't have a year, on the day of the reunion at 10.43 a.m. This is four minutes after he was seen leaving the Chevron in Tracy, 14 miles away. So the question is, how or why did he wind up in the reservoir? And more importantly, how did he travel 14 miles in four minutes? And how did his cousin and grandnephew receive texts after his phone had been submerged in water, especially for two weeks after he supposedly died? To this day, his family has no idea what happened to Bob McHenry, and they regret never getting to meet him. That is amazing. I love that story. <laughs> that one also, but it's weird because right at the end, it started to feel like an Encyclopedia Brown story. <laughs> like, well, you couldn't put the yeah. baby on the hood of the car that had just arrived because the hood. Oh my God, I used to love Encyclopedia cry. Brown. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Why didn't the child have blueberry all over their mouth if they weren't <laughs> <it in> <laughs> yeah. There's so many yeah. mysteries here, but the text message from beyond the grave is just irresistible. I mean, it's the modern day analog to the uh, phone calls from the dead. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. indeed. Yeah. And so uh, Tess has been uh, tearing it up with our Instagram account oh, yes. and and with great feeds and so we have uh warp wednesdays where listeners uh, share a short story a little bit of something strange that happened to them and we just had a phone call from beyond story i think from last wednesday where a listener said oh, uh, they, yeah they were with uh their boyfriend or or husband there's a call the phone rings in the bedroom the woman in the story Misses the call, doesn't go pick it up. Finally, I think they were doing dishes or getting dinner ready, goes back into the bedroom, sees that the missed call is from grandma, who, of course, has passed away. It comes up on caller ID that the call was logged, but how is that possible? So they like to think that she was checking in on them. And I think it was also maybe a special occasion of some sort where the relative was uh, just checking in, saying they're still there. But it's a little chilling to get a message like that from someone who supposedly passed. I love that. We're going to cover that one day, but it is just a collection, of course, of anecdotes. So, Well, I hope this third one is utterly ludicrous because those first two sounded pretty solid to me. <laughs> well, I think this may be a regional favorite here, especially for our Texan friends. They may have heard of it. But this one has popped up on Creepy Pasta. It's that kind of story. It has to deal with urban folklore, uh, we suppose, but it's all over the internet and it's called The Donkey Lady of San Antonio. And you've not heard about this, right? 
No, no. Okay, not, not, all right. <laughs> it sounds intriguing and vaguely pornographic. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, all right. So this story here involves uh, some old tropes that are going to be familiar to you. But again, the challenge is to see if we made this up or if it really is some kind of urban legend that's been passed around. So this all centered, this story here, around a spooky bridge that's just a short drive from San Antonio. And this story has been told over and over again, and there are a lot of versions, of course, but uh, like all stories that have found their way into the creepy pasta pipeline, it shares a lot of the same elements. So according to Weird US and Weird Texas, Scott, those are websites, right? That yes. we found out. Yes. Well, we, yeah, were, yeah, books originally, but yes, know, exactly. now, it's a, now uh, it's a national franchise, yes. Right, right. That's what I thought. So that's where we found uh, this story, the origins of it. Uh, this story dates back to the 1950s and centers around a young woman who had been in a fire that claimed the lives of her two children, a fire started by her husband. So she lived, but she was horribly burned and her face severely disfigured as a result. And the burn damage fused her fingers together. And according to the author of the blog entry on it at weirdus.com, uh, which we'll also have a link to, but apparently this woman would mostly appear out in the country and specifically this one bridge. And of course, the legend goes, all these kids were told that she was hiding in the dark, waiting to pounce on them, the donkey lady. And the author of the blog goes on to tell a story of his best friend going camping with his parents in the woods, and they were all getting set up when they heard some rustling in the nearby brush and undergrowth. And the father became a bit alarmed, and then a sound pierced the night that sounded like a loud snorting. He told the kids they needed to gather everything up as quickly as possible and that they were leaving. And they all piled into their truck and they took off. And the creature, it seemed, uh, whatever it was, started to move towards the road. And as they took off from the campground, something huge burst out of the trees and jumped onto the hood of the truck, shrieking loudly. And the kids and the dad, they all swore it looked like a donkey, but it was mostly human. It screamed at them and tried to punch through the windshield with its webbed fingers. And in a classic movie move, the dad slammed on the brakes ejecting the creature off of the hood. He then put the car in reverse, driving a significant distance backwards, trying to get away from it as it raged towards the car with hatred in its eyes. Finally, he got turned around and took off, and it eventually gave up, and then it went back into the undergrowth. And a, a friend of the blog author didn't believe the story when the dad told it, but then the dad took him outside and showed him his truck. The hood was horribly dented and scratched from where something had been on it. And in other versions of the story, there is a woman actually on a donkey, which frankly doesn't sound very scary at all, but there you have it. So uh, <laughs> there, there are several stories of similar encounters in the backwoods, uh, but many of them take place at that bridge. Now get this, that crosses Elm Creek via Applewhite Road, and it's about four miles north of Loop 1604 on the south side of San Antonio. So for you local folks, you'll know exactly where that is. And I'm sure you may have heard this story. Or did we make it up? Well, that one's tough because you're saying, is this a true urban legend? In other words, is this a story that people tell each other? Right, so right, it's, right, it's right. almost a step removed from, okay, but did it actually happen? That's true. So it becomes, and it, it actually makes it harder because obviously I think this one <laughs> yeah. sounds the most ludicrous. Right. But right. 
urban legends, I mean, can come in all stripes. And there's all kinds of versions of this. There's the goat man and the dog right, right. man and the hook man. And, yeah, and it yeah. all has to do with a tragic story. Something horrible happened to a person and now their spirit is out there. And then these people who, you know, your cousin's best friend's coworker, yeah. Yeah. they know for sure that this happened to them just a few months ago when they were driving <laughs> right. down that road. What I, what I have to guess is not did people never see the donkey woman, right. but is this not an actual urban legend? Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Because here's the point of that is that, did we just set up some weird sightings that have been reported and wrapped it in the envelope of all these urban legend tropes, which is the backstory, which may or may not be true. And of course, there are variations on that. It's usually somebody who's been wronged. Look, it's the same thing as the lady in white stories. This is a version of that. Perhaps we took that framework and adapted it much as Resurrection Mary. Well, see, now, now that you're talking about in what way you might have faked this particular story, which is not a disclaimer you, you explored with the right. other two stories, makes it feel even more like it could be fake or it's an intentional <laughs> move on your part to sort of <laughs> own the weirdness of it to, you know, get me off this scent. Right. How can I possibly it, choose the cup in front of me when you must <laughs> Right, exactly, right? <laughs> the vessel with the pestle has the brew that is yeah, true, yeah. yes. Never yeah. trust, what, what is it? Never doubt a Sicilian in a game where the mortal stakes or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. But, um, or, yeah, where the stakes are life and death. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, now I've got to wonder, or did it just sound faker because Forrest read that one and Scott read the other two? And so yeah. this one automatically sounds different and therefore is the outlier. Okay, yeah. summing up, we know there are urban legends that are very much like this, although maybe not specifically about a donkey woman. Granted. The UFO story sounds exactly like every kind of UFO story. <laughs> Except it's a little weirder, but then it happened in Sweden. Mm. So there you go. Maybe <laughs> that's what makes it different. Maybe yeah, maybe yeah. through their cultural lens, aliens may appear as these little weird glowing bags. And then the story in the middle is just sort of, again, classic, also sort of urban legendy. Yeah. But has a lot of details about cousins and and and, and grandnephews and reservoirs and county works, you know? And now I've got to ask myself, do you guys have the time or the mental bandwidth and spiritual wherewithal to really write out a story that detailed? And I'm guessing maybe you don't. Okay, so I, I literally, I don't know. I'm going to tell you my, all my thinking. Okay, I, okay. I'm going to say that the text messages from beyond the grave I'm going to say that is definitely true. So now it's between the UFO and the donkey lady. Having said that, I'm going to say that I also think that the UFO story is legit. And even though it's so obviously ludicrous, the donkey lady, that I should immediately think it's not the fake one, I'm going to say the donkey lady is the fake one. And I am willing to stake $250 to the charity of your choice. That is my judgment. Okay. I like mm. your reasoning. 
It's very yeah. No, well, of course, yeah. you know, Rich is a master of story yeah. and the weird and the paranormal, and he's heard a lot of these things as much as we have. And this is exactly why I love this episode because this is really the fun part of it. Not the the reading and the research and the writing, all that crap. I just love talking about these things. And that's exactly what we've got to do here. And here are each other's viewpoints. And, and I think Rich makes a bunch of great points coming at this with somebody who's heard these types of stories before, but then has to decide what elements yeah. sound reasonable in a, in a, of course, in the framework of the paranormal and the weird and the strange. And what is just a little bit beyond that. And I have to congratulate you because they all sound legit in their own way for the kind of story they are. None of them was like, okay, well, this one just kind of sounds, yeah, no. One of these stories was crafted by the two of you. And I got to say, whichever one it was, you did an excellent job. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah. Actually, it, that was all Scott, I think. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'm going to, you know, bow out of uh, any uh, uh, blowback on any of this stuff. But Scott did a great job of choosing the stories, but also framing them in a way where it was, re yeah, it was really hard to tell. If I read these as uh, he'd had them, uh, the notes in the outline, I I wouldn't have guessed, uh, wouldn't be able to guess which one was real or false. Well, so I guess we should come out with the answer. Um, and also, I think we're going to have to pick a charity for you to donate to. Because <laughs> story number two, the messages from beyond the grave, is fabricated, and I wrote it this the afternoon. One that I, the one that I thought for sure, it was yeah. just yeah. too detailed. No, and and I the thing much... is, I'm surprised. I I got really nervous when you said that it's too detailed because it's the most telltale yeah. sign of lying. Is generally that the liar uses too many details. <laughs> To right. because they're trying to convince themselves of the thing that they're lying about. So this is like cops know this. On the flip side of that, people say like, well, the person telling the truth wants to give up information they know because they're trying to convince the skeptical that they they are telling the truth. So it can it has to ride that line. But well, I left there's, too there's... much in there, and I went back <laughs> oh, just before we got on with you. I went back and removed stuff from it, and oh my god, it had a whole nother component to it that I took out. I was like, no, this is too much detail. But you're right. Yeah. You clued in. Oh, <laughs> Rich is holding uh, cash right here in front I, of us. That apparently, like, I. That yeah, he keep that fresh, crisp, brand new bills, which conveniently are right under his printer, I'm noticing. We don't know but, uh, how he got those. Yeah. I don't think he possibly earned them in the traditional sense. No. I think he... I have enough. I have okay. just... Okay. I've got enough. But I, you oh, know, wait, I, there's wait, a part wait. of me, Rich, that's wondering that if you felt like two was such an obvious fake, you were trying to protect our feelings by picking the other <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. No, no. I Okay. <laughs> But it's different when you're talking. Like if, if a police officer is talking to someone and in the moment they're, yes. they're, they're sort of doing it in the moment rather than, okay, now we're gonna, I'm going to take the time to write a story and try to make it sound real. So I think right. you, you right. fooled me, Scott. Uh, I think you're right. an excellent writer and I may have an opportunity for you. <laughs> <laughs> so Titan <Titans> season four. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. But just the behind the scenes press kit stuff. Right? Yeah, the, uh, right. You know, looking at these stories here, again, Scott did the framing. I suggested Yeah, I had the to dumb lady. down the other two, especially Rob Morphy, because his language is real specific and is all through yeah. his stuff. And it's beautiful. I love the way he writes oh, everything okay. about how he presents it. But if I'd have left it just as it was, it would have been so obviously Rob Morphy. So right. I had to take his and then also the donkey story. <laughs> 
which is a real <laughs> urban legend. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I had Dude, to kind of Lord. thin them out a little bit to match the thing that I had written, which was also too detailed to start with. So I was trying to like comb them all out in the same way so they would sound the same. But I left Very too many good. details. Very good. I left yeah. too many. No, Very but you, good. you taught me something though. Like the next time I do this, it's that when one I'm go- the one I'm going to write if I'm doing it. It's not going to have it's I'm not going to have all those details in it. Yeah. If you were googling it while I was reading it, you wouldn't have found the subject. Bob McHenry's not a real person, but you would have found the city, the lakes. I mean, the reservoir, all the yeah. stuff would have added up. The dates were right. It was accurate date for the party. How much time it would take him to get from one city to the other? Oh, all that stuff. Was so right. the only the only thing you changed was the title. No, the whole thing isn't real about the people or the family reunion. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. But okay. the rest yeah. of the, yeah. like the geographic details are all accurate. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And the dates I, I are accurate and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 And that's the, the only. Okay. Yeah. 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 The, the part of it. Uh, well, first of all, uh, Rich, uh, we will, uh, I think, uh, subsidize it so you're not having to spend the whole burden of uh, the donation. We we'll can certainly... put a little bit in. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll kick, kick it a little no, bit no. just so it doesn't no. stay. Hey, I can, well, I'll put in 250, then you guys can put in whatever you want. Do you know what okay. it is? Do you know what your charity is? No, we'll have to pick one. We'll figure one yeah. out. Once you figure it out, though, we should we should circle back and let the audience know who got the money because that's, yeah, you know, of course. Oh, of yeah, of course we'll cool. do that. All right, Absolutely. great. But, but here's, it's uh, been yeah. so much fun. You have really, you know, you've taken it to a whole new level. There's a lesson in all these as far as the listener is concerned and their viewpoint and that the stories you hear there are some elements that sound like tropes and urban myth, and that is a lot of the setup. And it doesn't mean that all of it is fake. So what I'm saying about the donkey lady is that, yes, this is an urban legend. It does not negate, though, that people have seen something weird on that bridge that may be cryptid-like or like a specter of some sort that does not fit normal description. And the envelope, the delivery method of that sighting, is wrapped in urban legend, which has all the same tropes. But it doesn't mean it's not true. And the same for the Domston blobs. Classic setup. Dark road, foggy at night, craft lands, multicolored lights, this and that. The thing that's the donkey lady of that story is that these things are jelly blobs that apparently float and are sentient. And they smell like they they, they would just burn their uh, bangers and mash. Well, I'm wondering if I would have... Like if you had said there's an urban legend of these two guys who are out partying mm. and then were assaulted by these weird glowing bags near a UFO, right. if that somehow would have changed my job. I, or, or, or conversely, if you had said, okay, so on the night of December 24th, 1979, you know, this person and that person were driving down a road when a creature jumped on their car and it was part donkey, part human, and, and stated it that way without the extra layer right. of it's an urban legend. So I don't know. I don't know. Right. Mm. Well, Rich, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for taking the time to join us and also sit around on hold for half an hour. Apologies about that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it only cost me 250 bucks. So, you know, it's a bargain. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's right. And uh, I'm glad it went that way. If it had gone the other way, it would have cost me 125. (laughs) So uh, we got lucky. I would have felt better, though, because we we wasted his evening and we charged him $250 for it. But it's going to a good cause. Yeah, it, it, I feel a little bit better about that. Gentlemen, an evening with you is never wasted. Ah, that's so nice of you to say. And sincere thanks, Rich, once again for coming on with us. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. And please enjoy the upcoming April Fool's Day. But don't get anybody fired.
that's going to wrap up tonight's show. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Please remember to support our sponsors. They help keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Boland. T-E-R-R-Y-C-A-R-N-A-T-I-O-N. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees Wendell and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also our head of research. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound design and additional composing is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to the Astonishing Research Corps. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash astonishinglegends, where patrons have access to additional bonus content. No part of this show may be reproduced anywhere without permission. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. Good night.